I hope I don't offend people by saying this, and I don't really mean to, but it's it's one of the less pretentious subjects. IB teacher, teacher, teacher talk. Rachel, what are we going to learn today in our interview with Shane Malone, who teaches physical and health education? Well, Dan, PHE teachers are often marginalized, I think, by the classroom teachers. So I'm really excited to discuss what we can learn from them, what we can apply in our own classroom. Uh, Often they're also tasked with sex education. Um, What are his thoughts on that? That sounds exciting. Yeah! Hello, Rachel. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. I was hoping that you would say that because I feel fantastic today, too. Okay, I think that's enough about us. (laughs) (laughs) Today, we are here today with Shane Malone. Hi, Shane. Hi, how are you? Shane, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, uh, so I'm Shane Malone. I'm a PE teacher and have been so for about 10 years or longer now. I can't even remember. It's getting on that much. Um, I've spent about seven years internationally um, and this is my second international country. And I spent a few years back home teaching before we flew the coop. Um, So my wife is also, interestingly, a colleague and has been for the majority of my career. Um, We've shared an office since the very first probation year teaching. Um, so when we tell people that, we, all, we often get funny looks. I'm looking at Dan and he's got some strange <laughs> eyes right now. I just want to say, because Rachel also has the same situation. So for me, it's weird and strange that you live and work with your partner. Tell me some like things where that have gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a hard one because often I would say it's our saving grace. Um, I mean, we do not run out of things to talk about because we can always talk shop. <laughs> it's the lovely pillow talk that you get. Um, <laughs> but I would say that it, like we, we challenge each other very openly. Um, and I think that's something that you miss when you're working with like your gen- generic colleagues who would often, you have to dance around some feelings and uh, make sure that you're being professional. Whereas we can really go at it and challenge each other. Yeah, and you see that with friends, uh, friendship groups and and schools, don't you? You know, I completely agree with everything you said. We need to get somebody in here. It's like, I hate it. It's terrible. (laughs) Because I've had the same experience, right? It's, It's been great for us. I love the idea of being like so straightforward and frank and honest with a colleague. I wish I could be like that with my colleagues. That, that wasn't aimed at you, Rachel, I promise. Whatever. <laughs> um, can you tell us how you got into teaching? So, um, my mum's a teacher. Um, my mum was an English teacher, um, and not just a very generic run-of-the-mill school teacher. So she did the, the normal pathway of becoming a teacher, taught a year or so, and then some part-time work, because she had, um, she had uh, my brothers very early on in her career. Um, so she went part-time, and by the time I came along, she actually was working as a communication teacher in a remand home prison. Um, so it was great telling people that, oh, yeah, my mum works in the prison. Um, it was an interesting one in primary school. Um, but I was always inspired by how she was passionate about what she did. Um, there was such a care, and especially coming out of a, a prison situation. Um, she, I, We always thought it would be a struggle for her, but she loved the challenge and what she could give to those young offenders. 
Um, so that was probably a big part of the inspiration. I actually didn't want to be a teacher. I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, and I, deployed, I applied for law school. I'd done an internship. And when I did that like free gig for a few weeks, I realized I did not want to be a lawyer. Um, I couldn't go through the, the basic monotony of the, the daily tasks that they do. Um, I needed something that would be a bit more stimulating. And it wasn't like it was on the TV. Um, and it was a late decision. I was a sports guy. Um, I enjoyed school. I enjoyed the way that classes run, especially in PE and INS. That would have been my other option. Um, but then I decided this is the one for me. Did a few interviews in the different universities and Bob's your uncle. Um, so why is your subject better than our subject? Um, I hope I don't offend people by <laughs> saying this and I don't really mean to, but it's it's one of the less pretentious subjects. Um, English literature is not at all pretentious. <laughs> what on earth do you think? <laughs> it, but it gives you it gives you a level of freedom, um, especially in like a situation like we are um, working within IB schooling. Um, you find that because that the parents are not constantly on your back, um, admin as long as the students are healthy and safe are not on your back. Um, and you can keep some level of physical activity. The kids can engage in a way that I don't see happening in a four-wall classroom. Um, and it also gets them up and out and in a more natural, old-school movement situation. Um, we're not forcing an issue that isn't really that um, nature-based. So, Rachel, why would you not do that? That sounds like the best job ever. Because 30 kids with a bat and a ball is not fun to try to mana manage and to regulate. <laughs> Shane, can you tell us how Rachel was doing it wrong? <laughs> <laughs> so PE, um, when, especially when you start teaching PE, yeah, is it sports? Like, are you this glorified sports coach? Um, and I would say that that is the main problem and the main mindset that we have as a subject. And it's something that is the constant battle between, right, how do we justify ourselves as a academic subject and, and not just as vocational playtime to give other teachers a rest and tire the kids out. So there's so much <laughs> Wait, more. <laughs> no one thinks that. What? <laughs> um, there's so much more to it. Um, yes, it's, it's physical education. That's what most people know as PE. But there is the social, emotional, mental side of it as well um, that we can tap directly into. Whereas I feel like in certain subject areas, it can be a bit of a challenge to really dive deep into maybe someone's social health. Mm. A lot of our teachers that come to the podcast talk to us about the main part of teaching that they enjoy the most is the bit where they get to actually connect with kids on a human level. And it feels like in your subject, you have more of an opportunity to do that than in many other subjects. Do you find that's the case? You, in my experience, you tap into students who struggle elsewhere. Uh, and that's not 100% of the time. Um, Obviously, everyone has different interests and values and they care about different things, especially in school. But I think with PE, there's always that niche group that really, truly struggle um, with structured education elsewhere. Um, and it's their place that they can thrive. And it's a difficult one as well, because then they are usually the ones that don't have the best behavior management techniques as students. Um, and they're bringing baggage 
from other classrooms with them um, in regards to their relationships with their peers. Um, so there's, there's, it's not all fun and games when it comes to that, but yes, it brings along a clientele that allows a bit more of a creative expression um, that these kids are maybe limited to elsewhere. Shane, could you tell us if there's any changes that you'd like to see in your subject? So we've been chatting about PE and, and how it's valuable, yeah. Um, a lot of people will say, right, well, PE is really good because it's a support role for other subjects. So that's one of the things where it's like we're tiring the kids out. Um, we are switching their brain on. We're basically doing these brain breaks and allowing kids to exercise, improve their physical health, and then they are invigorated to come back and learn in the classroom. So I would say there's a mindset shift that has to happen out with of PE programs towards that. That's one piece. Um, and then within the NYP, um, we are now, when you're, when you're, sorry, I'll go back there. When you're outside of the, the NYP, most places in the world, PE is not assessed rigorously um, in any way. Um, whereas we are given a little bit more credibility through um, our criteria that we assess in NYP. And then when we apply a curriculum to that, then it allows us to explore it in a bit more detail. Now that's great as an NYP um, school, but it doesn't happen everywhere else. So when we receive students from other schools, um, they really struggle with the assessment piece in PE. Um, another thing is when we are bringing in especially new staff to a department that is now rigorously assessing from grade six to grade 10, um, it's a big learning curve for them. Um, so I think it's finding a balance point somewhere, um, and I'm talking globally here, um, where we are able to think about, right, what is the purpose of the style of assessment that we, in which we do? How do we do that? How are we going to make it better? And how are we going to take that major piece of workload and maybe staff training to the next level? Because the way that I found it is assessed in PE, it seems to be a little bit more challenging than it needs to be. And it might be worth exploring the criteria and why that might be as a bigger question. Recently, as far as the global pandemic goes, how has PE survived through this crazy time um, in NYP? So, I mean, where we are working, we were blessed that we didn't miss out on too much actual physical schooling, but there was a, a major amount of limitations. Um, I wouldn't say in our situation that it was it was challenging, but it was an actual opportunity because um, it stripped away that need to focus on sport um, as we see in PE all the time. Uh, and you could actually think about it in terms of, right, we have a problem. How are we going to solve this problem when we are only allowed to work in a group of two? then a group of five, then a group of eight. What does that mean? What does it look like? We can no longer do the football unit because the football unit didn't make sense. Um, so I think that was a real opportunity. Other skills, uh, I have some colleagues in my previous post did the full year online. Um, now, and was expected to run a full NYP program um, that has performance-based um, criteria. Um, now, he, he's now a little bit more grey than he was at the start of last school year. Um, he's moved on about four years in a year's time. Um, but <laughs> but he's, um, I would say that he's definitely 
learned some like we were saying more truer assessment styles that is truly needed to improve the subject in the future I wouldn't say it's been a pretty time, but it allowed us to change our focus and really focus down on especially some of the mental skills that you would see around health. Mm -hmm. So like, I know that there's been a lot of like chat about obviously mindfulness and habit tracking, uh, goal setting, um, positive self-talk. How do you change the mindset of a young person who's struggling um, that has lost their social group and so on? And it, it, I would say it allowed us to build even stronger relationships because it stripped away the are you talented at this sport? You're my guy. Um, it's now an everyone subject because everyone needs wellness. I think that's great. I think that connects to what I wanted to ask you. I want to ask you, what do teachers of other subjects need to know about PHE that they don't? Or what kind of expectations do we already have? What do we need to be enlightened about? <laughs> Enlighten us. <laughs> that it is not glorified sport. And if it is then you can judge away. <laughs> um, there's there's so much more to it. Like, yes, there's the, the motor skills that we develop. Like, we obviously are looking to physically develop a student. We're looking at fitness, but it's, it's more those lifelong skills and the health of, depending on the nation, like, it's, it's an important piece. Um, we don't care so much about how well they can play volleyball. It doesn't matter. There's no... There's no care, especially in, a, in these larger schools that have athletics departments. If you want to play volleyball, go join the volleyball team. Like, enjoy yourself, enjoy the coaching environment because you will be coached specifically down that skill development and gamesmanship. Whereas PE is more holistic in, in its nature and a lot more conceptual than you would you would initially think. A lot of teachers talk about how we want to learn from other subject teachers about what elements of their subject can enlighten us and help our classes. So I feel like there's a lot that we can learn. I mean, English teachers or I like the way you call them four wall teachers. <laughs> Is that what we are? Four wall teachers. How can we learn from your experience to improve our experience in our classrooms? It's about activity, I think. I mean, you talk to me about going into one of those four walls and I panic now. Um, it's been too long. I do it. I mean, I do it on a yearly basis, but I know that that's not where my skills lie. Um, I can walk past another class and peek in and kids are up and moving. They are discussing, they're challenging each other. There's multiple things happening. And I can do that without thinking in a PE environment. But when you put me in a classroom, I panic with the structure. Um, but I think it's, it's more about then yeah, like let's go out and learn from others to potentially realize that we already have the skill set. Um, it's just how we're applying it. Um, because I, I, like I'm saying, I can do things in a gym that I know terrify others. Um, and I can have three or four different um, activities or learning stations set up and it looks like chaos, but things are happening. But you, you see that in classrooms mm -hmm. and effective teachers. I mean, not all the time, but you, you see it often. You can see chaos in my classroom anytime. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> no, I, I completely agree with that. I think that um, so many teachers are forgetting sometimes when it comes to MYP and DP standards. We forget that every nine to 12 minutes, we should get them up and moving because they're, we're losing them, you know, and we can learn a lot from you guys. Shane, often 
I feel like PE could be very dangerous or disastrous or scary. Could you tell us about a time where maybe it wasn't <laughs> one of those things, but could you tell us a time that you had a huge mess in your classroom? So when thinking about this question, it drives me right back to my second year in the Middle East. Um, I came from a British system, I had moved to an American system, it was an IV system, and I thought I was walking into a utopia of learning. Um, <laughs> uh, coming out of the, the, the school that I was previous. Um, but then that was, I mean, the, the rose-tinted specs came off quickly. Uh, and you'd realise that every school has challenges and, and rewards. Anyway, um, there was a there's obviously a, a very defining culture coming out of any school, um, and this one in particular, um, hosted a lot of locals, or at least within the Arab community, and I still hadn't worked that out. I can remember speaking to someone who said you have to spend at least five or six years in a culture before you can truly learn it and respect mm -hmm. it as part of you. Um, and I was only in year two and thought I knew what I was doing, and I did not. Um, so this was a grade eight class, um, very intelligent class and a very intelligent group of girls um, that were just having a bit of an off day and I should have just left it there, but I had to win. Oh, uh, wow. And so it's one of these uh, ego stories when you're just kind of starting out. Um, and it was over nothing. I, I think, thinking back, it was a badminton set up and it was about stripping down the nets at the end of a class. Trivial. Um, and I wasn't going to do it, and she wasn't going to do it, and then the friends weren't going to do it, then the class wasn't going to do it, and I was losing my mind. Um, and I did lose my mind, and I lost my temper, and you would think, right, okay, you can all just say sorry and move on. And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't there. It was an absolute disaster relationship rebuilding task. Um, and this was, I moved with those kids from their middle school through into high school. And although it was repaired, with the majority of everyone else pretty quickly but that one girl that it was the focus and it was in front of everyone I embarrassed her I shouldn't have done it um, but it was just an absolute breakdown of relationship and communication um, between someone having a bad day that I should have just let slide um, and just ruining I would say it took up until her I mean I left when she was in 12th grade um, and we were amicable by then uh, luckily we never had to be in each other's class <laughs> and it's ridiculous like it was about badminton nets but I took it too far um, it wasn't appreciated and I should have stopped when the line was crossed uh, but I didn't so Carol Young has a quote that really resonates with me with the learning around this piece uh, and I think it probably impacts every teacher at some point in their career is just know all the theories master all the techniques but as you touch another human soul just be another human soul um, and I think that's truly deep when you think about who it is we're dealing with um, their adolescents they are still developing those little brains and you're never going to get it right and they're never going to get it right when you force the issue um, and i think it's so important you just recognize them as humans and that they are going to make mistakes all the time this is a recurring theme on our podcast i have to say isn't it rachel we keep hearing from teachers about how when it comes down to it it's essentially about treating students like humans and also showing them that you are a human as well and that you have flaws not a robot, Dan. 
I don't have flaws, so I'm interested to learn about what it's like to have flaws. Oh my God, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Shane, can you tell us how important grades are to you in your subject? In my subject? Um, and that's a strange one because then it opens up the field of, right, I've just justified my subject by adding grades. But... It's an arbitrary number um, that we tag on to um, give whatever we have done some level of status for further and higher education. Um, and it's something that we can take home to mum and dad so that they can be proud of us. But what does it mean if you do not have all the things that come along with that number, especially the understanding of what that number means? Um, so we are blessed with rubrics and reflective pieces. Um, but I think that unless those are at the centre of what we do, then it's just a, a number. Can I fight you, Shane? Because you said give grades, and I always tell my kids they earn grades. <laughs> do you really think you give grades? Tell me about rubrics and giving grades. Oh, well, the joy of rubrics. Um, no, yeah, it's a wonderful thing because it's, 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 it's an earned piece. Um, I would like to get to the point in my grading practice that I do not give any grades. Um, I don't even want anyone other than the person that has submitted the work to do the grading. And I want that as part of the assessment piece at all times. Um, it's just getting that right and getting it so it's actually ethical and it's not just, <laughs> well, I am an eight. Yes. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's part of the master plan. I think that what you mentioned about the moving to tertiary education is kind of a key and we hear that from many other teachers is that we would love to be in a situation where we can grade in a way that we feel is more authentic but we are restrained by the need for tertiary education to judge people based on some kind of numerical value. It's, it's, a, it's a changing time though. Um, you're seeing this coming out of like certain nations curriculum, um, even certain sections of like more rigorous vocational courses especially there's some coming out of the uk um i don't know if we're allowed to mention btech courses but they're they're being accepted into some major universities and they're they're basically run off of this distinction merit pass and that's over multiple 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 different um, pieces of work and modules and thinking and styles of assessment <laughs> Shane, arguably we're all superhuman as teachers, but if you could have a superpower, what would you do? It'd be something along the lines of when Shane drinks a coffee, he turns into presents guy. <laughs> Let us father Christmas. Oh Not God. presents. Oh presents. See? Words, they're important. Oh my so I find that students, especially in a, we just chatted about grades, um, in a high stress situation, are never able to be fully present in the learning experience mm. at that hour. So you are in a PE class and you're trying to finalise some sort of reflection that has been graded, but there is a math test in 35 minutes. And then INS are expecting you to hand in their 40-page portfolio at the end of the day on turn it in and you don't have your login. Um, and students are all over the place at all times when we as teachers 
deem ourselves as the most important person in the world. And it allows the stress levels to go through the roof. Um, and especially as you're hitting those kind of later high school years, students are all over the place and they need a little bit more um, skills, I suppose. But so they'll use teachers um, to be more present in the learning. Um, because if they're distracted and they're stressed, they're not getting anything from it. And then they fall behind and it's just the snowball effect. So presence guy. Rachel, can you tell me what your superpower would be? I would write thorough and thoughtful feedback in less than five minutes for every paper one. <laughs> okay, that's pretty, that's pretty thugged out. Or paper out. two, right? <laughs> well, I mean, think about it, right? You want to give them feedback, but it takes a minute. <laughs> yeah, mine is just like auto-grading. Yeah, but you want to be personal. No, I just want to give them numbers. <laughs> There's an app for that. There is an app for that. So Shane, sex education, why is that given to the PHE department? Do you think that you guys do it justice? What are your thoughts? So this is one of the strangest parts of the territory when it comes to being a, a PHE teacher. Um, if I think about my own background, I went to a Catholic high school. Um, and for those of you that don't know, you wouldn't get much sex education during that time. Um, I then taught my first year in a Catholic high school. I taught my second year um, in a non-denominational school is what they would call it in Scotland. Um, and it was a little bit different then, but I wasn't in charge of the guidance program is what we would consider advisory um, for anyone but the six years, which are grade 12s. Um, and their whole experience was about college prep for the skills and applications and not much to do with what is going to happen to you in Freshers' Week. Um, and then I moved to the Middle East. And we don't talk about sex in the Middle East. Uh, and I was there for six years and, and now I'm here. So this is year one of teaching sex education as an expectation. So it's sort of an absolute learning curve for me. And I knew it would happen at some point. Um, so it's a strange one. Why are we saddled with this responsibility? And why is there such a faux pas about teaching it? Um, when I would be suggesting that we do this as part of an advisory program and it is the responsibility of all. I'm almost always met with the response of, oh, teachers would feel uncomfortable. Mm. And you should be embracing that because I feel uncomfortable. My wife feels uncomfortable, similar situation as me. These are not comfortable topics, but they should never be comfortable topics. Mm -hmm. um, but you just have to bring out your A-game in terms of your teaching style and allow the students to access what they need to know and what's safe for them to know. I think it comes back to the element we were talking about as uh, connecting to students as human beings. And I think if you can do that and talk about things like sex education as a human on a, a sort of straightforward adult level, then you will get more effective results. Rachel, what do you think? I think there's an excellent suggestion to do this in advisory, make advisory much more exciting. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's, it's a strange one because when you say do it justice, no. In most schools, we do not do it justice. Um, unless there's probably like an ingrained program with, with maybe years of thought put into it, which there very rarely is, especially in high turnover schools. People come in, they might have a skill set, um, which I don't have. And they are rock stars when teaching sex ed. Um, and 
then they leave and they might leave some resources but they don't leave the they they don't they, they take away the awkwardness and right. it's left with another teacher who has to pick up that piece um i'm assuming that not many people want to talk to children about sex it's not something that you would do on a regular basis so it's just something that everyone should do. But somebody needs to talk to the children about sex. <laughs> yes, they do. And I they think absolutely the point, do. Sorry, I think the point is not just somebody. I think that many yeah. people should yeah. be talking yeah. about. It should be normalized in a way that is safe um, so that we're not scaring kids away off to random sources. Yes. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of freaky things out there that they could learn from. Um and then get themselves into either some serious law problems and just ruin relationships or their lives for the rest of the, the time they have. Applause. Yeah, preach. Preach! Shane, at the end of our interviews, we like to ask for book recommendations. Do you have one for us? So the book that I'm recommending is called Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Um, I fell into looking at philosophy to an extent um, in a, a bit more of a major way at the start of the, the lockdown during COVID. Um, there's a few things that I think everyone did. Um, but I'd, I'd say before that, it was more about, right, how am I being more reflective in the way that I conduct myself as a human, not just as a teacher? Um, and I was looking for things that I could buy into that already existed within myself. And I can identify some certain traits uh, and then I can really challenge the things that I perceive um, about myself. And I think um, this book in particular um, really resonated with me in terms of how it truly challenges what we think is the way forward um, and what we see uh, as these aspirational people um, that we encounter in our lives or on social media. Um, and then it really dives deep into the specifics of, right, well, are they the ones we want to follow? Or are they the ones that we want to truly discard? And some of them are, depending on the people that you follow. Um, but then it, it, it just gives me a real good perspective of where I am going as part of my journey. I think that the idea of being a little bit more aware of self and ideas about ego is essential for teachers in particular. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Rach? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. We need to understand ourselves and how we function to make sure that we're approaching people and giving our best us i think we've talked a lot on this podcast rachel and i about how teachers are often the worst people not not the worst people that was i put that wrong yes but often they're, they're often like very type a personalities and oh, yeah. very sure of themselves and mm -hmm. maybe a little bit too egocentric and so i think that's something that we can all perhaps take a step back from uh, absolutely i think what it has allowed me to do is learn from every situation instead of just being selective about where I think this impacts me and that happens in my PE subject area all the time well this isn't for me this is for those four wall teachers but I can use everything um, and that has allowed me to really remove my ego of my subject and it, but yeah you're absolutely right we are an egotistical bunch and the higher we go in the chain usually the more ego we have i think that's an excellent place for us to end this interview um shane thank you so much for joining us today thank you so much shane thank you <laughs>
Rachel, that was another fun episode with Shane Malone. We've learned a lot today. Can you tell us what your main takeaways are? Well, Dan, overall, I think I have a better understanding of what PHE teachers do. I didn't realize how much they have um, their attention set on the wellness of our students. Also, I really think that we shouldn't ostracize them as much. What do you think about that? I think so too. I think I learned a lot today. I love the idea of it being about health and how important, especially this year, it's become something that we really need to all learn about. All teachers. He calls us what? Four corner teachers. Four wall teachers. Oh, I like <laughs> so that. I'll put you in the corner. I like that. <laughs> Also, how and why PE teachers are cultivating these good relationships with our students? I feel like it's not fair. I feel like they have a better chance to cultivate authentic relationships with students. And we're stuck with making them write essays. You know, I think that we can still make a better effort to do so. Not the essays, the relationships. All right, I'll work (laughs) on it. Thanks. Finally, how we can be better at moving our kids around. What, like from school to school? <laughs> Migrating them. No, getting them up and getting them moving around the classroom. Yeah, I particularly need to work on that because I sometimes sit and I look in my classroom and I look at the poor little faces and the vacant eyes and they're sitting on their chairs writing another essay. That's your own fault, Dan. You've done this to them. <laughs> Sorry, kids. <laughs> All right. That was great. Bye. It was great. Peace. Peace. <laughs>